if you have been following along, will be in Matthew chapter 5. And we'll focus on verse 4. Ironically, I've been at two funerals in the last three weeks, and it wasn't in preparation for this sermon. I took off for the occasion, saw some extended family members, and played my role as small as it was. In one gesture, I even rubbed someone's back, and I said nothing, just to console someone. I learned those two things once my dad died years ago. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just say very little. And I cried when that happened. And my body paid for it. I was actually sick. I was I had like a runny nose for several months. And I don't know what it's called. I have no idea. But I do blame the crying. I remember in class, wondering when I was going to be done with this, whatever it was. And I, I remember doing something that kind of seems weird. But hopefully the sermon will explain a little bit better than I could have at that time. I text some people who were close to me and I apologized for any sin that I committed against them. At that time, mourning over death was also mourning over sin. And if I were to preach today three ways where you can console your friend dealing with death, I wouldn't be necessarily preaching the passage. And I want to make sure I do that. And I do want to acknowledge as well that crying can be the very physical thing you need to do to deal with the bodily effects of the trauma you experience. So I don't want to put down crying for everybody. I know there are some phrases like, big girls don't cry, or there's no crying in baseball and I do want to make sure you know there is a godly sorrow that comes with even repentance that produces some great things like salvation. And I don't want you to miss out on the crying opportunity. Because that could do wonders, not for our body, but for our souls. Our passage today is focused more on the sin that produced the death that we often cry over than the death itself. Well, I don't know if you notice in chapter four, Jesus is is talked about having, one, dealt with the temptation from Satan. He's mentioned even as beginning his ministry, having fulfilled the prophecy you see in Isaiah chapter 9, with these words, even. He comes with these words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. That's his message, repent. Uh, repent 
uh, it refers to this change of mind. Like you change your mind about the sin you committed, and it, it, and it leads to, and it comes with this turning from sin. You change your mind about sin, you turn from it. Chapter 4 also speaks of Jesus hand-selecting the beginnings of what we call the disciples. And towards the end, it tells us Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And large crowds followed him from Galilee, the capitalist, Jerusalem, Judea. So when you go to chapter 5, you look at verse 1, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, it's plural for a reason. But I want you to be aware of the people who consciously and even subconsciously will try to rebuke Jesus for preaching the gospel and not focusing more on the healing ministry that he had. See, healing heals people from sickness. And the consequence of that is they don't die from that sickness. That's, that sounds wonderful. I mean, really, it's good to know that you didn't die today, which is why we often say, you know, thank God I'm still alive. This is a wonderful thing to be alive, hopefully. In one sense, because Jesus is patient with those who have not yet repented, we see in the scriptures. But I, I wonder what we do with our lives that God cares about. I mean, I wonder if we have put our faith in him to the point where now God cares about the actions that we take. Hebrews eleven six tells us that apart from faith, you can't even please God. So I, I want you to note that without faith, it's like, what are you doing this for? Jesus preached the gospel not just healed, he also preached the gospel, which is good news for the person who understands, and even doesn't understand, that sin was the cause of death in the first place. And so he's preaching to the root, not just dealing with the fruit. I, 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 feel, I feel for it. I, I feel for Jesus in this case. Because my attitude sometimes is I want him to just do some things even in my life. You know, car, another house. Another one, another one would be cool, though. It would be. A different job with more money? Man, he can heal my bank account. Come on now. See, that would preach. Today, I got another sermon, though. It's about mourning. It has to do with crying. A little bit of dying. 
we, we're, we, we know what is, some of us know what it's like to mourn over death. But we should all know what it's like to mourn over sin. See, Ecclesiastes 3.4 tells us that there is a time for weeping and mourning, right? That's, there is a provision for something that's so unattractive. I mean, you don't look at somebody who's mourning and say, man, well, I could just be them. After the sermon, I hope that you will, though. The person who mourns over sin, that is. God does care about that. He cares so much that he will not just heal us just to see us die eventually. He deals with the cause, the root. You, you may know from your Awana programmers, you know, some of y'all didn't go to Awana. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. No. Romans 6.23, when it's in his death. Verse 3.23, all have sinned. So we know that all people sin, and what you deserve as payment is death. Mm, if, if we could just mourn over the sin part first, we might understand this passage a little bit better. Today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, we will... See a couple of things that Jesus talks about. We'll first look at some mourning realities. Second thing we'll look at are some comfort hopes. We'll look at the mourning realities first. Chapter 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm so glad that this isn't just merely talking about people who are mourning because their family member died. I'm so happy that that's not the, the, the mere use case of this. It's, it's, I'm also happy that Jesus didn't just die and stay dead, right? We don't, we serve a risen savior, one who's also going to be able to save us too. Like, this is wonderful news. And so when I look at this, I'm like, blessed are those who mourn. Okay, well then, we, we see blessed. See, alongside this mourning, this type of mourning is a blessing. Blessed people. You probably already know, but it, sometimes in some context refers to somebody being happy, but it's interesting how these mourning individuals are not just better off, they are well off. They says if there's some good that they have now. See, is they they have mourning now, but they also have blessing. And there's something about this state of mourning that comes with something good. They're currently blessed still. In light of their mourning, Luke six is a passage that sometimes people refer to as the Sermon on the Plain, but it's a parallel passage. It's a plain on the mountain. Jesus goes up to the mountain. He's preaching to crowds. 
but not just toppling over a mountain, is a plane. And in Luke 6, in the parallel references, it uses the word blessed as well. Could you turn there for me? Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. It has to be attitudes there too. Luke chapter 6. Notice verse 20, it begins. And turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began, in verse 20, we're in verse 20. He began to say, blessed are you who are poor. We've seen that before. For yours is the kingdom of God. 21, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. I just wanted you to see how Luke, in his shortened version of this Sermon on the Mount, uses the phrase or the word blessed. In some similar context, too, we see in Matthew 5. But Luke does something interesting. He doesn't simply give you the positive side of things, the blessed. He also gives you the opposite. Whoa. Look at verse 24. Luke 6, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Hopefully that lets you know that not only can you not take the riches that you have on earth with you when you go to heaven, all the comfort that you got from it, past tense. Once you're in heaven, that's past. You do not get eternal blessings from current physical riches. Okay, let's keep going up because that's not even the past. Woe to you, verse 25. Who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. So you can see some, some parallel references. He already talked about hunger, how they'll be satisfied, the people who hunger, but then the people who are already well fed, they'll, they're gonna be the ones hungry. Look at verse 25 again. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. For me, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes 7, where the preacher says that it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting, and he gives two reasons. But that is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. It reminds me of that. But in this case, once again, we're talking about a particular type of mourning, weeping, weeping this laughing. It's not merely just, ha, ha, ha. As long as you have good times on earth, then you're just going to cry. No, that's not it. Because in some ways, there's common grace. Everybody gets a chance to laugh, to be excited, to smile. Thank God for common grace. That's for believer and unbeliever. It's just that. 
to be forced to mourn and weep, hoping that you would receive some type of eternal blessing. Hopefully we'll understand what's happening here. Come back to Matthew chapter 5. We're still at verse 4. I want you to realize once again, these people are not just better off. They're well off. It's not only better for you to mourn than to laugh. It's, it's, you are well off in light of the fact that you are the one mourning. So we need to figure out what's going on with this mourning. Because it's not advocating a life of some super piety where you're always down on yourself and mad at the world. That's not what it's talking about. So if we look, verse 4 says, blessed are those who mourn. It helps us to understand this mourning. The mourning does have this connotation of a manifested grief. So I will say that sometimes you can't even just hide it. It just overtakes you. Some of you know. You know the you know the you know the crying. You just can't you can't help yourself. You didn't ask for it. it just there it is. It's, 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 in, it's front of your it's front of your face. It's in your eyeballs. Now it's on your cheek. Like it's it's it's, it's there. This morning, and has much foundation in the context of death. And I do want to make sure that you do know this. There is mourning that has to do with death. In Genesis, Jacob mourned because he thought Joseph was dead. Meanwhile, there was a whole other plot twist. Joseph was being sold into slavery. Ends up being one of Pharaoh's right-hand men. But for Jacob, that was a real tragedy that happened. Having your other sons come with the coat that you gave your son, and they said, see his blood? Yeah, dude. He got whooped up. He's gone. I don't, I don't say that lightly because I think about whether or not I would like my dad to come back. And I realize, no, uh, I don't want him to be here when he can stay in heaven. But for Jacob, it was, it was wonderful, a wonderful surprise to know that Joseph was still alive. But he did go through some mourning. Sometimes you're just disappointed. You got to mourn over the consequences of your decisions. In Numbers chapter 14, 10 out of the 12 leaders of the tribes of Judah, of tribes of Israel, decided, nah, to what? They were, then we're going to go and conquer the land that they were supposed to, the land of Canaan, the one that's flowing with milk and honey. They, they, 
they, they spied and said, hmm, 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 hmm. And they gave the report and said, 10 out, 10 out of 12 of them said, no, we can't do that. They're, they're giant. Huge. And so God decided, oh, really? All of you, except for the two leaders that wanted to go, will die before you enter the land. Uh, please, please, please hear me when I say this. You and your family of 12 come and you and your, and your one sibling says, we should go and, and run that business. And everybody else says no. And for some reason, this is so important to, to whoever is making decisions. They say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to give it to you too, but the rest of your family will have to die before I do that. So in this case, it wasn't just like 12 people to consider. It was hundreds of thousands. It was, it was a lot of people that had to, that ended up dying before this was executed. And when the, when Moses told the people of God's decisions, they mourned. They mourned. They missed out. There was an opportunity cost so great that it cost a bunch of people their lives before they will receive the blessing that God had wanted for them. Meanwhile, they had to continue wandering in a wilderness for years so that those people who were supposed to die, died. That's mourn worthy. That's some great disappointment. But in this context, we're talking about a mourning that's somewhat disappointing. We're talking about a mourning over people's sin. And there is there are plenty of passages that talk about that. Could you turn with me to First Corinthians chapter five? We're in Matthew right now, so go to Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians is Right over there, it's over there. First Corinthians chapter five, I want you to see this. First Corinthians chapter five. And in, in verse one, Paul is, he talks about the condition of the church, the Corinthian church, as he's writing. He says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality, a sin, right? Sin, of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Okay, nobody seemed like they died yet. Verse 2, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. 
Oh, they should have cried. They should have wept. They should have mourned over the fact that this person sinning, yeah, in their arrogance, they said, oh, he's, he's a pretty nice person to us. Man, he seems like he's, he attends, gives. Seems like he's, he's pretty smart. What should we do? Nothing? Act like it didn't happen? Like it doesn't exist? Sin is something to mourn over. To the point where they took action, by the way. Do you notice the, the action that he, he meant? He, he referenced, they sh- he sh- removed from your midst. And he goes on for the rest of the chapter to talk about judging. Oh, yeah. The Matthew 7, 1, the judge not yet lest ye be judged. The hypocritical judgment. Oh, he judging. He said, I've, I've, it's, it's, I've judged him and I'm not even there right now with you. Remove the wicked man from amongst you. There should have been mourning with sin. Mourning is it a, is it, an appropriate response. And arrogance. Arrogance is what you call someone who refuses to deal with the sin that everybody knows exists. This isn't the sin that you don't know in somebody's personal life because they're hiding it from their spouse and there was no way for you to know. This is somebody that something that everybody knew. It was even reported to Paul who's not even there. So when he mentions the arrogance, it it makes sense that they are arrogant because they did not properly deal with the sin that they knew was there. This isn't the only passage to talk about. Could you turn to 2 Corinthians 12? It's the next book over, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to see another example of mourning over sin. I just, I want to just, I want you to see that this is a biblical thing. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verse 21, the last verse in the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Now, just so you know, in verse 20, Paul is lists out, just take a glance there, about a bunch of sins. A bunch of them. Strife, jealousy, anger, temp- angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, arrogance, disturbances, and in verse 21, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. Remember, flashback, 
remember the message that Jesus started when he started his ministry, he came and said the first word we read was repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Right. Now come back here for and not have not repented of the impurity, immorality and sensuality which they have practiced. This is a practice sin. This isn't a once and one and done. This is a this is a habit. This is a lifestyle. This is a a, a provision for sin that was intentional, deliberate, and consistent, persistent. Kept on keeping on. And Paul saying. My concern is that I might have to mourn over the fact that some of you have sinned and not turned from the sin. He's not talking about the fact that you sinned, you repented, but it's still the fact that you sinned. So I'm going to hold over your head because you never engaged in penance. Penance has to do with you making up for the sin that you caused. He's talking about repentance. Where it's not that you make up for it, it's more that you change your mind about the sin. You even maybe rebuke your own sin, but you turn from it. The turning from it. Hmm. Can you talk with me the James? James chapter 4. I want you to see this. James chapter 4, keep just, you know, keep, keep turning. So after Hebrews, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 8. Draw near to God. James chapter 4, verse 8. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Interesting translation to see the, the heart can label you as double-minded. There's a connection between the two. don't want you to miss that. Verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9 of James. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Notice the next sentence. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm trying to let you know that mourning is an appropriate response to sin. It is very appropriate. And the arrogance that comes with just like, I don't want to, no, I can't feel bad about it. I did this in the past. No, no, it's always past me now. Oh, I want to praise through it. Whatever it is, mourning is a great choice. Wonderful. It's, it's very biblical. You might find some great healing in the morning. You don't have to hold on to your pride any longer. I mean, James, and even in, earlier in the, in the chapter, he's, he's addressing the fact that people want things 
But they don't ask, or if they do ask, they ask for wrong motives. So they don't even consider God in the picture. It's all about their own fleshly, jealous desires. And they have not yet embraced friendship with God, but instead hostility because they rather be friends with the world. Please, let the arrogance go. Mourn over your sin. Reap the blessings that come with that. We've, we've talked about how mourning over sin is a good thing. And I'm reminded of how I sometimes get emotional when I think about my dad. I think there's a misconception about death or dealing with it that sometimes people just somehow just get over it. And I would argue that some people just don't get over it. They just can keep on keeping on through it. It's not always the case that you just, oh, wow, I think I just, I'm just over it. It doesn't bother me ever. Because all you got to do is watch the wrong TV show, movie, And your wife looking at you like, what's going on? It's, if only we would cry like that over our sin. We would be so well off. Not just better, we would be well off to treat sin like it it doesn't deserve a chance in our lives. It doesn't deserve to be here. God instead. God. We need him, but he deserves to be our focus. I wonder why mourning is still comforted, though. See, we, we just looked at some morning realities. I want to look at some comfort hopes. Because if you turn back to Matthew chapter 5, I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The for there is there for a reason. It's a causal Conjunction is, is meant to tell you that there is a blessing for the morning because there will be a comforting. Huh. So my little gesture, you know, rubbing person's back, it's going to be better than that. If we're talking about morning over sin, it's not, oh, God's going to rub my back. How do you deal with sin? Oh, come on. Oh, I, Follow me. Follow me. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We were, we were in 2 Corinthians before. 
Then we went to James. We went Matthew 5. Now we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to see this. We're talking about comfort now, right? There's a comfort that is associated with the morning, or I should say the blessing. I want you to see something about this comfort. There's going to be, I want to say in some ways, it, I, would, I, would, I would like to call it a restoration. In some ways, I want to refer to it as an indemnification where you may have had a loss, but the value of that loss you, you get back in some way. It's not the exact thing, but it's, it's, it's about the value. The sense of comfort is not going to bring your dead sibling parent, neighbor, friend back. That's not what, that's, that's not, that's not it. But the value you will receive when you mourn over your sin is going to be great. I want to illustrate this with 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, because he basically, he made them kind of sad because he had some hard words for them, by the way. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul has spent a lot of time defending his apostleship against people who doubt him now. It's like, oh, I don't know about you. You know, Paul, you said this, not that. You may feel like this. It could have been his tone. It could have been his approach. It could have been his height. It could have been his way. It could have been whatever. Whatever, all the things, it could have been the fact that they were arrogant, they didn't want to let go of their sin, or whatever the case may be. Because remember, in First Corinthians, they had a lot of issues. <laughs> you remember that, right? They, I mean, the, the division within the church, they were abusing and misusing spiritual gifts. They don't understand love properly. There's a, somebody with his father's wife, we, we saw that, right? Bringing lawsuits against one another. I think if there wasn't enough wisdom among other believers, had to take it to somebody else who wasn't. I mean, there were so many issues. They had issues with the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So many problems. So he has some words. But in chapter, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Remember, sinners, you sinned. They had a change of mind that led to turning from sin. To the point of repentance for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. This is why we call this a, a, a godly sorrow. According to the will of God, they repented in their sorrow so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. You know how people talk about, like, people people lost their life or I lost my loved one? 
If you're a believer, you don't lose, you gain. You gain something way better than what we have here. It's like a come up. You didn't even earn it. Notice here, though, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. You don't have to regret turning from sin. If anybody tries to make you regret it, remember, this is better. Repentance is better. Who'd you rather face? On judgment day, God, with the peer pressure that you have to deal with today, this, this, please understand that it's there, there's no reason to regret turning from sin, any sin. Notice this, leading to salvation. There's a, there's a salvation involved. So, turn from sin leads to salvation. Great, I love it. That's that should be good for you, for us. I want salvation. I'll mourn over my sin to get salvation. I want salvation. If I turn from sin, if I need to like actually feel bad, please feel bad. Please. Let me show you the other side of sorrow. Look at this. Look, continue in verse 10. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, you can be a sorry individual, but if you don't repent, you won't really be sorry. You'll be, you're just going to be sorry, a sorry person. You are not better off. You are not well off in this case. See, sorrow is not it. That's not the end of it. It needs to produce repentance. Okay. Just want to make sure that you see the, the, the comfort I find interesting I find interesting the, the, that this comfort is not just the hand rub of the back. It's not it's not just that. It's it's a lot more. Come back to Matthew chapter five again. Look at for you shall be comforted. You shall be comforted. It's going to happen. There, there is a, a time in, in Luke chapter 16 where there's a guy named Lazarus and a rich person. The rich person goes, he's suffering on the other side of the chasm, Lazarus is, is with with Abraham. It's like it's, it's like paradise. And the passage in verse twenty five talks and it shows Abraham speaking, and he's talking to this rich person. He says, "Remember the good things you experienced in Lazarus, the bad things. Now, Lazarus." He's being comforted here. You are in agony. Acts 20, there's a, a, a kid, a young person, uh, 
Eutychus, he fell out a window while Paul was preaching. And the, the passage in verse 12 says, in Acts 20, that they took the boy alive because he was alive and they were greatly comforted. First Thessalonians 3 talks about there was uh, affliction and distress but they Paul talks about how he was comforted about the Thessalonians and their faith because they now stand firm in the Lord And Jesus in Hebrews 2, verse 18, shows us how he himself can empathize with our trials and hardships. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says this, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So, you know what it's like to sin, and you even know what it's like to be tempted, and Jesus was tempted too. That's what we went over, we quickly referenced in Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted by Satan. Jesus knows what it's like, and even so, he can empathize with our own weaknesses, and hardships, in times of even mourning. We have a Savior who, who understands. Not just because it's God, but because he's been there. When my dad died, there was a, a verse that came to mind. James 1, verse 2. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. But it came to mind because my friend told me that. This is, this is right when he, felt, he found out. So pretend, you know, somebody dies, somebody comes with that. That particular verse, not the one about comfort, but the one about joy and trials. This meant much to me. Because for maybe like a year or more, him and I were talking about that passage. And what better time to bring up that passage than when you are in a trial? Right. Having already prepared yourself for, for months, believing that no trial formed against me shall prosper. Man, this too shall pass? Oh. Yes, he is my friend still. But I thank God that, that Jesus not only saves us from sin, he also saves us from the consequences of sin. That if you put your faith in him, he 
will reward you. And you didn't earn it. He did. He did all the acts, all the action necessary to impute his righteousness to us, to, to accredit us the blessing he deserves. He's fully man. I think it's wonderful because he's not fully Klingon. He's not fully Teletubby. He's man. So he can replace a man, but he's fully God, so he can replace him. any and all of us. He has that power. He understands. We need to come to him. We need to come to him. We need to put that faith in him. Turn from sin. You won't regret it. If you find yourself regretting, you did something wrong because there's nothing better than blessing, comfort in Christ, like forgiveness. Like, like, like the righteousness of God, like eternal life. What blessing it is to know that you are forgiven for the sin you committed and mourned over. And even now, we get a chance to please God, having our hearts turned to him in full devotion to the God who deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves it. Let's pray. Lord, you have been good to us. We, we deserve wrath. And at the same time, we see in Thessalonians that we were not destined to wrath. Instead, we get comfort. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the comfort that only you can offer. Lord, may we drop the arrogance and pursue you. We want to live for you. Lord, we appreciate these opportunities to be here together. The acknowledgement that you are worthy to be praised with our entire being. Help us to, yes, better mourn over sin, at the same time embrace the comfort that comes with it and the blessing. Lord, we appreciate all you've done for us. Use us for your glory's sake. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.